Thanks for tuning in to Good Vibrations with Kristen. Are you ready to be inspired? Do you want to have a greater connection to the earth, each other, and ultimately yourself? So then join in the conversation with me, Kristen Ace, and me, Green Diva Meg, and our fascinating guests to share the light, the laughter, and the illumination of Good Vibrations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Good Vibrations with Kristen. I'm Kristen. You are. Hi, Kristen. How are you? Hi, Green Diva May. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say you are. And I am. (laughs) I am too. We have an amazing guest today. His name is Ira Israel. He is a licensed psychotherapist and counselor. Um, His specialty is helping people overcome holding themselves back and leading inspired lives. Don't we all need Ira? Yeah, we all do. Let's get a dose of Ira. Are you there, Ira? I'm here. Thank you very much for having me on the show today. Oh, you're so welcome. We we uh, reached out to you because we um, someone threw us, threw us your name and we looked over your website yeah, and the thing. Yeah, Lynn. And we were just all both like, oh, we have to have him on here. And we wanted to talk with you about being your authentic self because this is something that you specialize in. Correct. So. Well, for me, there's this lovely quote that I always start with. Um, it's something that Jack Hornfield said up at Spirit Rock. He said, um, you're perfect and there's room for improvement. <laughs> yeah, that's for so sure. For me, yeah, I'm always looking at... Um, our way of being in the world, and I and I and I think that all of us in our hyper competitive culture learned a way of being in the world to survive our childhoods, and we have these traits that we learned as children, you know, and it, it includes our way of speaking and our way of dressing and our way of walking, and we have all these tools that helped us survive our childhood, and they're fantastic, and you know, in my lectures, I'll make everybody stand up and give themselves a round of applause, and I'll say, congratulations, you survived your childhood. (laughs) But but, but at the end of the day, those tools that were so efficacious when we were uh, children and adolescents might actually be hindering us from showing up authentically and being vulnerable because we're, you know, so we have to kind of, um, I mean, usually it's like a midlife crisis or something that, that provokes you into reanalyzing, like, who you want to be in the world, how you want to show up, and what are, what tools will help you, uh, you know, engender loving relationships and keep you at the height of your happiness spectrum. And yeah. Those are, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm hoping um, that we can start um, picking up the consciousness before midlife. Wouldn't it be great if yeah. we could um, wake up teenagers? And and, yes. and people in their early 20s, like, in for me, I had an awakening in my early 20s, but it really took me into my 30s before I really understood what it meant to be conscious, right. what it meant to, um, to, you know, slough off what I learned as how I should be in the world compared to who I really was. And who, exactly. And, and so I would love to see that. I would well, love to see that happen. I think many of us do start waking up. Not, yeah. not everyone, but I think a lot of us do. I did in my 20s. But like you, it was this sort of slow spiral, you know. Right. And right. I'm still, uh, I'd say I'm midlife maybe. 
Right. Young midlife. <laughs> um, but I'm still having these moments of like, wow, you know, I can't believe, uh, you know, discovering things that I'm still stumbling on in the subconscious no matter. And I've done a lot of work on that stuff. Right. But I think because we started at a time when when it seemed like the world wasn't quite waking up either. Yeah. So there, we weren't su- as supported. Like there okay. weren't, there wasn't Ira around when yeah. I was They didn't awakening. have GVK or Ira. No. Okay. So. Um, well, one of the things I like talking about when um, teaching authenticity is um, cleaning up our path mm. so that we can show up authentically. And so when we realize that our minds are created, um, to protect us, and the way they do that is by making resentment, like woulda, coulda, shoulda, didn't. Oh, you know? yeah. So, so like our lives are our lives, as Miles Davis put it. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> and then um, we add all this, like, oh, that's good, that's bad. Uh, you know, I like that, I don't like that. And those are the things that really um, uh, cause us to either cling or avert. You know, and so so attachment is really a to therapy term what i'm hearing hearing. no but what i'm hearing is like the the suffering is equal to the resistance to reality exactly so the the more that i resist reality um and that's true for me i know that's true for me the more i suffer and the more i just like surrender into whatever is and maybe it is a sad experience or a, a frustrating experience or whatever and i just kind of go oh okay this is frustrating and sit with that you know and let it pass Right. Because well, it does. Well, and also, f- at least for me, I've discovered that for me to be authentic, I need to be very clear about my feelings or what I'm confused about. There's lots of times that I'll sit Megan down and go, all right, I'm confused about this. Did we say this or did we say that? I'm not sure what this thing means in, in our interaction. Right. And, and when we have those conversations, I get clarity that I'm fine. That, but that's who I have to be. I have to be able to say, I'm confused about this, or this is how I'm feeling about this. And anybody in my life knows that. Whereas when I was younger, because that wasn't really allowed, it would come out in all kinds of really inappropriate ways. <laughs> See, I think that's what... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say something about how difficult it was for me in my early 20s to identify like what I was feeling. Like I really wasn't sure. And I remember having this therapist because, of course, I've been in therapy. I was in therapy for a long time. Right. Um, but uh, he would say, like, how do you feel? And I'd go, well, I think blah, 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 blah. And I, and I just it, – it took him a long time to help me identify what I was really feeling. Mm. Well, on, on one of my DVDs, The Mindfulness for Depression, I talk about the um, acceptable bandwidth we have for emotions in our culture, and it's really incredibly – Thin. Uh, we really don't like 
highly emotional uh, people. And the reason is, is because it gets in the way of productivity. You know, if you're sitting there crying or if you're, <laughs> they feel like you're you, you can't really, you know, drive your bus or whatever you have to do for work. So it's interesting because we, the, the DSM recently um, uh, took away the, um, it's called the, uh, the bereavement exemption from depression. And so, it's what a, does we, that mean? A, Wait, what is that? So, if you eight of the nine symptoms for um, bereavement were the same as depression, so uh, if you had any of those symptoms uh, and they were they were um, engendered by you know a, a death, you would just be, it would be called bereavement for one month, and then after the month, if you still had those things, it would be called depression. So that's okay. the way the old DSM was. But if, but if you think about it, I mean, do you, if someone dies, if you're, if a, you know, you know, God forbid, a child or your loved one dies, like, is a, is a month, is that, is that the, is that the, like, is, is there right. any, uh, you know, that's not a long time? enough time to grieve. No, no grieving is no, such but a. No, but what they, the interesting thing is they've recently, I think it was February, they eliminated the bereavement exemption, oh. and the, and the, the psychiatrist said that. We found that the same drugs that work on depression, the same pharmaceuticals work on bereavement. So it, again, it's like we like if you look at a if you do a meta analysis of our culture, or people in 500 years look back on us, they'll they'll feel they'll they'll see we have a very low tolerance for any type of heightened emotion. Yeah. And if I can just make an aside, I'll say that I feel like the purpose of. Um, like movies and also like rock concerts yes. and things like that is to allow us to cathartically uh, <laughs> let off steam and to to experience the sturm and drang of uh, of emotions oh, that that's we, right. we're not we're not allowed to experience in real life. Do you oh, know, that, do you know <laughs> that I went through a period of time watching Little House on the Prairie every day when I was a young mother just so I could cry? <laughs> I know. I'm not kidding. Yeah, well, but I was just thinking about my son and my husband. They listen to like really intense, hard, angry mm-hmm. rock and roll, and they're both really mellow guys. And I'm yep. like, you know, okay, first of all, I'm extremely volatile. Anybody who knows me knows this. I've got heightened emotions all over the place. So I'm always making everybody around me uncomfortable. But I listen to like, la, 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 happy, happy, do, da, da. <laughs> because I need really, that in this, my life. This is what I, so in the courses I teach, I, I give examples about how we all have toolboxes to try to get our needs met. And the first thing that men reach for in their toolbox, in their emotional toolbox, is anger. And when a, when a guy comes into my psychotherapy practice, you know, I, I have to process probably about six months of anger where he's cursing and yelling and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then I can get to the real problem, yeah. Yeah. which is the sadness that he's not allowed to express in no, our culture. That's right. And then I, when the women come in, there's a lot of uh, learned helplessness and sadness, and I got to process six months of crying and to get to the to get to what's underneath <laughs> that, which is the anger. Because we you know, like if you if I sit on this corner as a man and cry for three hours, irrespective of what it was about, someone would call uh, the authorities, and a small bus would come up, and two guys would come out and yeah. they'd put me in a straight jacket and yep. take me away for a four-day holiday. That's right. And That's exactly if you right. Sat on the corner and. Screamed, even though if you were, you know, if a woman, we just, we don't like angry women <laughs> and, we, and we don't like sad men. Yeah. And so true. authenticity is like, 
wow, I'm a man and I'm experiencing this emotion of sadness and right. I'm going to have to process that. And so, you know, maybe How? I'll take a run or maybe I'll uh, go to therapy or maybe I'll go to a yoga class. But like we do have these emotions of men have sadness, women have anger. And our culture is formed in such a way that we really just are like, no, 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 I'm sorry. You cannot express that in public. No, and even in private, um, you know, you hear, you hear the the man up and you know, put on your good, your big, big girl yeah, pants, big big girl pants. And I hear that, I'm like, you know what? I really, I find that very offensive. offensive. <laughs> I really totally do. Offensive. But I'm like, no. what does that mean? Do you know my whole childhood and early life? I was always very emotional and. And I would speak the truth and just terrify my entire family. They were like, oh, my God. No, the emperor does have clothes on. He really does. But, you know, I grew up thinking that all these things were bad. You know, I had intuition. I had all this, you know, kind of joy and passion. And they were like, no, 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 no. no." Let's put a stopper right on that. Yeah, I really got the impression it was just very bad. Right. Oh, I did, too. I I heard this really interesting thing at a – like a Hollywood type lecture uh, 20 years ago, the, uh, a gentleman said that his wife, uh, they were having a dinner party, and his wife said, Oh, why don't you invite a bunch of uh, comedy writers over to like liven up the party? <laughs> and and the guy goes, Are you like comedy writers? Like they're the saddest yeah, people on earth. They really like, are. They're, they're, they're idealists. Right, and they see the world the way it should be in their mind, and then they make jokes about what the way it isn't. Right, but in their in their own heart of hearts, like those are the those, You look at the death rate for for comedians, and it's a, it's probably a lot higher than it is for the normal population. And, the suicide rate. And by right. the way, in case anybody didn't know, I am a comedy writer. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, just I made a jo- I make a joke. I tell people I teach I do stand up yoga. Yeah, that, oh, that is actually very funny. That's funny. But I have worked years to unravel that and get to the reality and the core of that. And uh, but it also helps to have people around who are supporting you in that journey. You know, I right. I don't have a big circle of well uh, uh, in here, that world. Out here in the Topanga Canyon, Birkenstock wearing woo-woo land, uh, we call it holding space. Uh, The ability to hold space for another person so that they can process their emotional experience. Yes. And I I, I do make a point of this in my classes because a lot of times if you hear um, someone say, yes, but, you know, uh, what what they're trying to do is arrive at the truth. Like I say, oh, the sky's blue, and you say, yeah, but it's going to rain later. What happens is we're arriving at the truth about the weather, but you're invalidating my emotional experience. Those words, yes, but, Mm -hmm. like, yes, you're going to arrive at the truth. Mm -hmm. So out here in woo-woo land, uh, (laughs) we try to, uh, you know, hold space for other people and not um, arrive at the truth because what happens is a lot of the time it invalidates our emotional experience and 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 people hear it as criticism, like, oh, you're wrong. Or judgment. Yeah. Judgment. That's a, exactly. that, that's another way to hang on to your childhood stuff is to, to place a judgment in and around what happened to you, how you did what you did, and why you're not that thing right now. So there's, there's judgment on all of that, and it, it yeah. prevents you from sifting through the experiences, transmuting them, and taking away the lessons and, and going in a higher path from them. 
if you judge and that's, it. And that's the beauty of this one, you know, uh, practice of mindfulness meditation, uh, to learning to observe your own thoughts non-judgmentally mm. so that, you know, you can show up and, and not be just this bundle of reactions waiting for stimuli because you <laughs> develop this personality <laughs> of defense mechanisms, you know, right. that you can, you can, you can show up and, you know, you, you give people in psychotherapy these tools like, like I'll tell a couple come in, I'll say, well, the next time she says that to you, why don't you try something like, wow, you've really just triggered all of my mommy abandonment issues. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think we should continue this conversation right now. Wow. I need to go walk for 15 minutes and I'll, I'll, we'll revisit this later. Wow. And that works. That's a good tool. It's brilliant. It is. Well, we all have to be in touch with our core issues, and that's what I think authenticity is all about. Because, and that's that quote: "You're perfect, and there's room for improvement." Your ego has developed this whole system of uh, of responses, and it's 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 inauthentic. Essentially, you're not showing up like, "Oh, I'm Ira. I'm 48. I'm experiencing the beautiful blue sky in California mm-hmm. today." I'm thinking like the things from my childhood. Oh, I have to do this. I have do this this needs to be done da, 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 right, da. Right. so you know if you can just drop in to the present moment and not be a bundle of reactions waiting for stimuli to appear then that's what that's what authenticity is you know but it is being not, aware of your way of being in the world and being able to observe it outside of you like non-judgmentally and just say okay you know these are, these are my issues i'm probably going <laughs> to Still be dealing with them when I'm 80. I'll be dealing with my mommy and daddy issues or my, you know, whatever their way of being in the world is. Had a great, a, a serious um, uh, impact on our way of being in the world because we were young and we, you know, developed in a certain manner. And now you have to, at some point in time, say, hey, who do I want to be? Well, and right? I think that there's a lot of fear around that. I have to say, um to fly in the face of what your family has shown you or taught you, particularly if you come from a, a you know a relatively happy place, to then say you know this, I want to be something more than what's been presented to me. Now I think mm-hmm. it's a lot easier when you come from pain to go, hey, I don't want that shit. But right. when you come from a, a place where things have been sort of status quo, to then shake up the whole paradigm of your family just because you want think you might want something new it's it's a place of there comes a place of fear and even for me i i didn't come from a happy place and i still shook up the paradigm and i put my family in in a lot of fear and you know they had to get Mm. through it and they had to get over it but (laughs) because that's just the way that is but it wasn't easy it wasn't easy at all to call everybody out on on the on the game that we had been playing one of the interesting things I look at, because um, it was interesting in what you just said regarding the status quo. So all of the things that constitute Western civilization, um, capitalism and uh, romantic love and our educational system, they're really kind of, um, I mean, if I can say so, we're, we're watching them crumble in some mm-hmm. ways. Yes, I we mean, are. New thing, you know? I mean, I just saw today Tim Cook, who came out as uh, he's, he's proud to be gay. And I have no idea because it doesn't matter. I'm gonna. I'm, it's not, I'm not. I'm not going to stop using my iPhone because of somebody's sexuality. Right. You know? Well, and, but there are oh, some people who will. I know. Sadly, but it's, it's fascinating because if you had spoke to people in the 1950s and said, "What is the chance 
of a black man being president of the United States. Right. Right. Like, like or what are the chances of gay people being able to marry and have children? Like they, they would have collapsed. The, the paradigm had, right. The, the, exactly. The paradigm <laughs> has shifted so dramatically and we're living right. in such a, like an amorphous time right. that, you know, the, the, the status quo and all those things that we consider to be um, like, like breastfeeding, for instance, like my whole generation, the, the, um, the doctors told our parents that right. chemical formula was superior to yep. mother's milk. Yep. <laughs> and that, that, that was considered to be normal. And right. now it's just 48 years later, you look back and you think about that and you're like, you're what horrified. The fuck? <laughs> My mother went against her doctor's orders and breastfed both me and my sister. But I have to tell you that my husband's grandmother was freaked out of her mind <laughs> that I was breastfeeding. Really? She was like, you need to stop that dirty thing right now. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I love you. No, no. This is how we're going to do things in my house. So yeah. It oh, was yeah. dirty. There's some movie um, with, uh, with Leslie Mann is breastfeeding in bed and uh, her husband is twitching bodies i think i forgot what it's called change it or something like that and the guy has never seen this and he turns and he looks and sees her breastfeeding and he's like put that away what is this africa <laughs> oh my god <laughs> right right the most natural thing in the world that's right know. and the best thing for your baby you could ever possibly do build up its immunities yeah. and yeah. yeah you know obviously we're breastfeeding advocates in in, in this little circle but you're right. But again, it we is live the paradigm, in the paradigm of change. Of, of science. And Thomas Kuhn in the 60s famously said that every 25 years, a paradigm shift. But for me, because of the information age and technology, I think like every five or six years. I mean, if you try to explain to 25 years ago that there would be this, what an iPhone is to somebody, and it takes infinite pictures, and it holds 60,000 songs, yeah, and no it'll record no this, and, you, and it goes to a satellite, and it does this. Like, nobody, it was like the Jetsons. Like, we're living <laughs> the Jetsons. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, well, there is like an acceleration, right? Oh, absolutely. Things are happening yeah. fast. Uber fast. And that's and so it's very exciting to, because you're right, what would have been the normal status quo paradigm doesn't even exist anymore. Right. You know, it it doesn't exist. And who exist. can keep up? Oh, and, my God. No. But, and thank <laughs> God, because we can bring kids into the world today to have their real feelings. And, and I think that we're going to see a revolution in the educational system that's more yes. kind of like uh, Montessori or Steiner-based yep. because, yep. you know, like they're, they're, you just don't need all these people doing math if they don't like math or studying chemistry if they don't like yeah, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, why, if my brain doesn't work that way, I did, my, did, my kids all had early their early education in a Waldorf, a Steiner school. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh, I, you know, had I been able to, really I would have liked – to have them go further, but it just wasn't realistic at that time. Yeah. Well, I firmly believe that, that the paradigm of education is also crumbling because the way that the pressure that they're putting under kids today is outrageous. That's insane. Yep. Yeah. I, it's funny. I just got off the phone with um, uh, a college counselor, and I actually do uh, uh, alumni interviewing for the University of Pennsylvania in this area. And it's so funny because, I, you know, I really shouldn't say this in public, but one of because it gets back, it's horrible, but a student came up, and I, we're not actually supposed to talk about grades, but I was kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm I, you know, I, we're, so I'm meeting this student at Starbucks, and he says uh, that he has a 4.8 average in this school, and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm doing the math, like, okay, the scale is zero to four. Yeah, right. So what is How it are you getting eight points over? You got A++ in every class for the whole four 
four years or something like that. I can't even begin to imagine it, but all I'm thinking in my mind is, God, like, you're going to be in therapy for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to also understand that it's not just the kids. It's the culture around the kids. It's the parents. It's everything. It's, I mean, they're having kids peruse the Internet for, um, my son's a sophomore, peruse the Internet for, he said, if you want to go and take a look at colleges now, here's how you do it. And I went, no, no, yeah, absolutely not. We are not doing that. Yep. No. That's... Yeah, I had a buddy who got his kid into, like, I, 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 two or three years old in New York City into a prestigious, um, whatever that is, kindergartner or something. And um, it was super interesting because um, they, she, they, they, the, the two or three-year-old child needed letters of references uh, from, <laughs> from other, from, and, and I thought that, like, and, and then my no. buddy, because it was still goddamn expensive, it was like 40 grand a year or something, he said, yeah, but, you know, it's great because they've had a very uh, high acceptance rate for Harvard. And I'm thinking, like, she wants to play with mushy things. Like, right. she does not, she's two years old. She does not want to go to Harvard University. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And guarantee you when she's 13 and she's got that goth makeup on and she, <laughs> <laughs> have fun with that, honey. <laughs> But, that, but yeah. see, that's a statement about the parents who are projecting their dreams right. heavily onto their kid. And know. so they – but in, in to bring us full circle, what that does is it, it doesn't allow their children to even know who their authentic selves are because they've already started believing and treating their child as if their child is a blank slate. And we do not come in blank slates. We do not. We come in – with past life experiences, with goals and desires of our own, with our for our soul, and things that we excel at. Exactly, and it's really interesting because what I I do this um, correlation between the Bhagavad Gita, the mm-hmm. ancient Hindu text, and also Sonia Lubomirsky's work on happiness. And it turns out that in the scientific studies, people who who do who have jobs like you go someplace and you flip burgers because you need the money are in general quite miserable. And people who have careers, and a lot of people, if you started 25 years ago as an engineer or a lawyer, like there's something called golden handcuffs. So your pay has increased so much that even if you're not enthusiastic about still doing the same work or you haven't um, mm. evolved professionally, like you can't afford to, to, to change places. Like a buddy of mine yeah. said that he would have to take a 90% pay cut in mm. order for him to start a second career. Wow. And then the, the people who are happy in our culture, and just, this is exactly what Krishna said, the Arjuna and the Bhagavad Gita, are the people who follow their vocation, follow their dharma, who know their calling, and they say, you know, in my heart of hearts, I know I'm supposed to paint, and so, you know, I, if I take a 90-hour-a-week job uh, pushing paper around, I'm going to want to blow my brains out. Like, so I'd rather, like, make a little less money but have the freedom to uh, explore my vocation and, right. and fill my heart and paint. That's right. That's right. I have a whole litany of stories yeah. um, about trying to do that for my parents for a little while. I didn't do it for long, believe me. Um, and I was surprised that I even did it for that short amount of time, but I was a little desperate. So I thought, okay, maybe they are right. Maybe I should not. Uh, <laughs> I was a little maybe, desperate. I was a little hungry. Like, maybe, maybe having a, a very large bank account does make you happy. <laughs> well, or at least be able to eat, you know, feed yourself. But I found very quickly that, um, yes, I could feed myself, but I was... 
a mess. Oh my gosh. I was an emotional yeah, mess. I, I, I did was so unhappy. Corporate thing, and I was yep. very successful for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. I did it in short bursts, and yeah. and the last time, I I just I had so little tolerance for the bullshit that I. I just, I said, I, when, they, when they came and they laid me up, my, my boss was actually a friend, and when he came in, he brought in a box of tissues. They were going to lay me off, and I was, like, so happy. I thought, okay, I, got, I just have to pretend to be, <laughs> su- pre- pretend to be suitably bummed out. He couldn't because, be your authentic self in that yeah, situation. No, I was like, can I, I wanted to kiss him. I wanted to skip out of that place. And I, and I said to my husband, I love you. And we had to take some serious hits financially, but I can't do that again. Right. It was That's crushing right. my soul. That's right. And other people thrive and they do well. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's a, it's, it depends on who you are, you know, right. really. But uh, And ain't that what it's all about? That's right. It's right. being who you are and being your authentic self. And we now be, have to wrap up <laughs> because we've, we've talked this half hour away so excitedly. So, Ira, I just want to say thank you to you for coming. I mean, do you want to say thank one last thing before we... We head out, and we're going to make sure that all your information is on the blog, how to reach you, how to get in touch with you, um, and everything Thank that you. they need to, to reach out to you. I, I actually I have a new DVD coming out in uh, three weeks called A Beginner's Guide to Mindfulness Meditation that I think will, will be very helpful for people who are too kind of um, uh, scared to sit down and try to meditate. Like I really uh, walk people into it very, very gently. So I, I have a feeling that will be uh, applicable to a lot of your viewers. Good. Oh, absolutely, because we can't. We literally talk about meditation all the time, and what we come up against a lot is I don't know how to start. So this is going to be awesome yep. for our audiences. Yay. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, and thank, thank you, you for your time, and thank you from my heart to yours for you being your authentic self, because I really appreciate you. You're very Aww. kind. Thank you. All right. I will, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. And wow, what an exciting conversation. Well, everybody, be your authentic self and let it shine. Yeah, because we love you when you are you. Bye-bye. I love you. We hope that you found this episode of GDK inspiring. And to raise your vibration even higher, visit my website at goodvibrationswithkristin.com. And don't forget to like Good Vibrations with Kristen on Facebook. What inspires you? Write us, let us know, so we can share your ideas on the show. And meanwhile, keep listening, keep connecting, and know that you are divinely guided.